In John chapter 6, we have Jesus declaring that he is the bread of life. And what we're going to see is that even though they were given their fill just the day before, that the 5,000 found themselves hungry again. Even though they had eaten just hours beforehand, they found themselves longing for more food. It has been said to err is human. I might change it to be hungry is human. And we've experienced that because no matter how much we eat on any given day, it's only a matter of hours before we're hungry again. Whether you're in the room or watching online, all of us experience Thanksgiving. And we experience the American tradition of eating lots of food. We consumed lots of turkey. In fact, 370 million pounds of turkey were consumed last Thursday. That's a pound for each American alive today. And then we experience the joy of taking in and consuming 250 million pounds of mashed potatoes. That's a lot of peeling of potatoes, right? 77 million pounds of ham, 40.5 million bakery dinner rolls, and 96 million spent on stuffing. All in all, we would consume on average with drinks and dessert in the totality of our Thanksgiving celebration 6,300 calories, three times what we daily need as human beings. We did so to celebrate and to be thankful for all that God has done. And if you're like me, you consumed all of that and you woke up on Friday and before you headed out to do your shopping or to set up your Christmas tree, you found yourself again hungry. Because to be hungry is to be human. And no matter how much we eat the day before, we will find ourselves very shortly after that being hungry again. These individuals in John chapter 6 that were fed loaves and fishes to their fill, that everybody had as much as they wanted, the scripture said, came the next day and were hungry again. And what Jesus is going to do is take a physical hunger and apply it to a much broader spiritual concern. You see, even greater than our hunger physically is the hunger that we have in all other elements of our lives, namely spiritually, we long for our lives to be filled by God. And yet we fill our lives with the things of this world only to find ourselves hungry over and over again. In fact, as we gorge ourselves on the things of this world, British theologian C.S. Lewis said, we will only find ourselves hungering for even more. And so Jesus, speaking to an ancient crowd and to a contemporary audience today, says to me, if you truly want satisfaction, if you truly want to find the abundance of life and to never be hungry again, then turn to me. I am, he says, the bread of life. And so what I want to do is in this lengthy passage, one of the most lengthy of his messages that he would preach in the synagogue of Capernaum, we are told in the text, is draw on this theme of hunger and see what heaven's hope is for the hunger that we here on earth have. 
To do so, we need to see what the scriptures remind us of, and that firstly is, is that you and I must labor for the right things. We must labor for the right things. Starting in verses 25 through 34, we see a crowd approaches Jesus. It's the same crowd that was there the day before. They had followed Jesus to Capernaum, and they were looking for Jesus to perform another miracle. And they were pretty excited. They had just seen Jesus multiply loaves to give out of a boy's meal, a boy's lunch, through the ability of his own hand, Jesus was able to multiply it to feed the masses. And many in the crowd were going back to the days of the Exodus and thinking, just like our forefathers in the wilderness were fed manna from heaven, so today through this prophet, who is like Moses, is able to feed us the bread from heaven. And they seemed like these were lucky days to live in. But Jesus said the manna that came that their forefathers ate, it would cause them to eat and then after they had their fill to eat again, but in the end they would die. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life and if you were to take in me, if you were to consume me, you would never die, which conjures up the idea of Jesus with the Samaritan woman who said, if you drink from me, you will never thirst again. And so Jesus seems to say that there is things that we can pursue, we can labor, we can long for, we can live for that aren't going to satisfy. In fact, Jesus says in verse 27 the following. He says, do not labor, do not work for, do not live for, do not long for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life. And so Jesus right right away sets up a compare and a contrast of saying there's two types of food. The world offers lots of food. So listen to me this morning when I say there's a lot of bread out there. There's a lot of places where you can get your fill, but Jesus seems to say that the food that the world is offering is a food that will perish. It'll go bad. In comparison to the food that he's offering that will last unto eternal life. So what are those things? What are the things that Jesus, through this bread metaphor, is trying to help us understand? Well, first of all, again, there's lots of bread. And some of us are living, longing, and laboring for the wrong types of things. How do we know if we're laboring and living and longing for the wrong things? Well, Jesus says, take a look. Will they last forever? That's the litmus test. And so let's begin with a couple things. Let's just go through this activity and exercise that Jesus laid forth. Let's start with our homes. Our homes have a lot of longevity to them. Here in Illinois, you can go back 150 years and find homes still standing from a couple centuries ago. If you go to the East Coast, you'll move back even three or four more centuries of time. Houses still standing from the colonial period. You go to uh, Europe. In the Mideast, and you can go back thousands of years where you can see things that were standing even during the days of Jesus. But let's remember, no matter how far our buildings and our houses go, in a moment they can be gone. It wasn't too long ago that we watched with great sadness at the flames that consumed Notre Dame Cathedral. 
A building that stood in times of war and peace. It was able to uh, see itself through a great many crises and troubles. And yet, because of a roofer's mistake, it was consumed. Jesus says, yes, there are times where we will consume or labor and long for temporal things, but not to put our ultimate trust, our ultimate hope into our homes. They're necessary, but far too many of us have made it our earth's desire and our earth's duty to make our home heaven on earth. And Jesus says it will perish. What about our cars? Our cars are even less durable than our homes. We buy them with great excitement for all the bells and whistles, the fancy paint job, the awesome smell that that new car has. There's something glorious about that moment you sit in that car for the first time. But from that moment, that car is dying. And over the days, the spilled coffee, the teenage kids after soccer games, that new car smell wears off very, very quickly, amen? And it becomes messy, and it becomes old. It becomes run down, and and the maintenance of it at times becomes more than you can bear. And, And so what do you do with that old car? You hand it off to one of your kids, and they destroy it. Before you know it, the car that you had such great excitement for, that you worked so hard for, is now worth nothing. And it goes to the salvage yard. How about our clothing? Jesus talked about not worrying about what we wear because moth and rust will destroy. But what Jesus is saying here is what he said on the Sermon on the Mount. We are to seek first Jesus and his kingdom. And so we have to ask the question if if houses and cars and clothing and, and let's just face it, technology... Talk about something that's fading away quickly. Not too long ago, I got a new cell phone and I showed the worker at the cell phone, my old, or cell phone store, my old phone. And the teenage person behind the thing said, boy, that's a dinosaur. It's a fossil. I bought it from you two years ago. You were 14 at the time. Now you're 16. Oh, that's old. All of these things fade away. And yet how much time and how much anxiety and how much uh, coveting do we do for these things? We labor for food that perishes. Did you know that 40% of the food that's purchased for Thanksgiving gets thrown away? In just a matter of days, you know, your Thanksgiving meal can only last a couple more days, even in the refrigerator, and you're going to throw it away. And what Jesus is saying is, like food, your pursuit in this world cannot be for the things that don't last. So how do you know if you're laboring for the wrong things? Let's look at a couple things. We've done this as a church. I love this as an assignment. We ask the question, what does my calendar look like? What am I filling my time with? What are my appointments saying about me? Am I longing and living and laboring for the wrong things? Are they temporal things? What about my checkbook? What am I spending my money on? Is is it spent on things that are only going to break and go away? What What a great reminder as we open the Christmas season. What I've learned as a father of three boys in the now 19 years I've been a dad is most gifts that I give to my children don't make it past the turning of the calendar into January. And that's true for adults as well. 
We long and we labor for that new thing only for it to lose its luster. What are we spending our money on? How about our conversations? Are they having any eternal value? I was so convicted of this this week. I, I failed as a pastor and as a Christian because this week I was more engaged in the stupid conversation of what's going to happen with our football coach and general manager for the Bears than I was out of gratitude. Talk about a temporal thing. We change uh, coaches in Chicago Bears history every couple years. Here today, gone tomorrow. And yet I invested time and energy on a week that I should have been dedicated to gratitude to my Lord and Savior. I I was tempted and I fell to pursuing things that are so temporary and have no eternal value whatsoever. Jesus says, don't labor for the things that don't last. Well, what does last? People. And our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, how are you using your calendar to engage with people? How are you using your checkbook to advance the kingdom of God, not only here on earth, but also in heaven? Is your conversation built around the gratitude of the daily bread God gives us, or is it based on the temporal things of this world? Jesus says to a world that is hurting, in a world that is longing, for its appetites to be filled. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Jesus is giving the answer to all who are hungry, to all who are famished, to all who see the world not uh, fulfilling what it advertises. He says, come to me, I am bread. Now, why bread? Why would he use this metaphor? It's one of the seven metaphors he's going to use in the Gospel of John where he'll say, I am the vine, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the gate, all of these different I am statements. He starts with bread. Why bread? Well, first of all, bread was the most important part of the meal. Unlike us, where our meat is the main entree, bread was it. And we see that in the story of Uh, The feeding of the 5,000, when we get the young boy's lunch, we see it had two fish and five loaves. The main entree was bread. And so Jesus is saying, I want to be the main entree. I want to be the main thing in your life. Not a side dish, not an appetizer, not a palate cleanser. I want to be the main thing. Number two, in his day, everyone had access to bread, Jesus says. Poor people may use barley, rich people may use wheat, but everybody had the ability to get and to make or to buy bread. And what Jesus is saying, just as bread is accessible to all, so I am also accessible to all who will take me. I will no wise, he says in the text, turn away. Finally, bread in the culture that Jesus is speaking to was a place of fellowship. We know from the book of Acts that it says very clearly that they broke bread together and fellowship. The idea of breaking bread is the idea of experiencing the community and the presence of others in your lives. And so Jesus is saying is, I want to have fellowship with you. Will you join me in fellowshipping? And so Jesus wants us to know that we could be filling our lives with all the wrong things. 
And so Jesus is here, flesh and blood, right before the people. And they want to talk about the manna that their forefathers had. Here Jesus is right before us, and we want to talk about the positions we have in life, or the possessions we have in life, or the pleasures of life. Solomon said all of this is fleeting, it's meaningless, without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet so many of us are tempted to go after the things of this world instead of consuming Jesus, the bread of life. So Jesus says, listen, labor for the right things, and number two, learn regarding what truly or what really matters. So Jesus says, listen, I am, I should be your pursuit, your number one priority. And he says, listen, I'm not here just to fill your stomachs, but what I'm teaching is a greater truth. And this is so important that we understand that Jesus isn't talking in literal terms. He's taking a physical thing, eating, and telling us or illustrating for us what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, experiencing him on a daily basis. So he's saying, listen, not only do I want to fill your stomachs, not do I want to take care of you physically, but I want to deal with things that you struggle with emotionally, mentally, relationally, spiritually. I am, sorry Snickers, the only one who can satisfy Do you believe that to be true? That Jesus alone is what will satisfy you? Not that person, not that possession, not that new promotion, but Jesus alone is my number one desire, my number one pursuit. Now remember, Jesus is using bread as a metaphor. And he does this with each of the I am statements. And if we're not careful... We will misapply this passage to mean something it doesn't mean at all. Now remember, seven times Jesus is going to say, I am. I am bread, I am the vine, I am the door, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. And in none of those do we take any of those statements literally. Now the reason why I bring this up is that many will take this passage of Scripture because it's going to say later in the text, eat my flesh, drink my blood, And whole doctrines of churches have been built on this premise. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church and our friends within it would say that what Jesus is talking about here is communion or the Eucharist or the Mass. And what Jesus is talking about is our need to physically consume Jesus, and in doing so, that is the process by which we abide in him. And with all due respect to my Catholic friends and family, it's wrong. Because if we were to take that Jesus is literal bread, then we would have to believe him to be a literal door and a literal vine, and none of that is true. In fact, it's the farthest thing from the truth. Jesus is using bread as an illustration with regards to salvation. And so maybe you should write down today what Jesus isn't talking about is communion. He's talking about salvation. That is so important. Now I know there's bread in communion. And there's drinking in communion. But the Bible makes it clear. Jesus, in fact, says the flesh profits nothing, including his flesh profits nothing. That what he's talking about here at the end of the passage is spiritual in nature. He's talking about what it means to come into a relationship with Jesus in 
salvation. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Our friends in the Roman Catholic Church will believe that when the priest holds up the bread and the wine and the bells are are played, if you will, or rang, that Jesus enters into that bread, into that wine, his body and his blood. And that as the mass is being celebrated, those individuals are drinking the blood and eating the body, the flesh of Jesus. And in doing so, abiding in him. That is not true. And they use this passage for it. But I want you to notice what Jesus is saying is a one-time thing. Whereas communion, the Eucharist, the Mass, is celebrated again and again and again. And so we have to look, what does Jesus mean when he says eat or when he says drink? And how is he using those words? And we have to go into the original Greek to understand what tense is he speaking in. And he's speaking when he says eat and drink in what is called the perfect tense. And that's important because what he's saying is you're going to eat this once and it's going to have ongoing benefits and blessings. You're going to do this one time and then it's going to have continual effect in your life. Let me read for us. If you'll start in verse 51, you'll see what I'm talking about. Jesus talking about a one-time event, eating, that is salvation. He says in verse 50 and 51... This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that you may eat one time and have recurring things happen as a result of it. Then he says, and not die. He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats it once, one time, he shall live forever. Skip to verse 53. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat one time the flesh of the Son of Man and drink one time his blood, you will no, have no life in yourselves. What Jesus is explaining is you and I have to come to a place once in our lives where we give ourselves over to Jesus and in doing so, as if eating him so that we may have life that that moment of salvation has ongoing benefit and blessing in our lives. This isn't talking about communion. This is talking about salvation. Why? How many times do we take communion? We do it once a month. We'll do it next week. And we'll do it the first week of January and February and March and April and May and so on. We do it often. As often as it is offered. How many times are we saved? Help me out, folks. Once. And that one time of salvation, that moment of salvation, has what Jesus says, ongoing benefits and blessing to it. When Jesus says, I want you to consume me, what he's saying is, I want you to take me in as your Lord and Savior once, so that I might, as you abide in me, show you benefits and blessings along the way. So why does he use eating as a metaphor for salvation. Let me give you three examples of how eating and salvation are very, very similar. First of all, both eating and salvation are necessary for humanity to live. We are told in this passage that even if we get bread, even if it's bread from heaven, will die. He says, your forefathers had manna that came from God. They ate it and they still died. And so we need food 
to live, and without food we will die. So it is with salvation. Listen, we have to experience salvation. But to experience salvation, it is not good enough for us to go to a bakery and smell the aroma of the bread and see the texture of the bread and maybe even feel the crust of the bread until we eat it will our hunger be taken care of. Now Jesus is going to say, in fact John will say that when Jesus says this, that many who were following Jesus walk away. They had touched Jesus, they had smelled Jesus, they had seen Jesus, but they never had really truly experienced Jesus, taking them in for themselves, even the disciple Judas, who was about to betray Jesus, had been around the bread, but never ate it. And sadly, there are some in this place today who have been around the bread Might I add, maybe you walk around with the recipe of how to eat the bread, but never have eaten it for yourself. Unless you eat the bread of life, unless you have salvation, you will never truly live. Notice number two, both eating and salvation address our hunger. Verse 35, those who eat will never be hungry. It is a wonderful fact to know that when we're hungry, we can eat something and be satisfied. Well, likewise, from an eternal and spiritual perspective, unless we take in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we will never truly be satisfied because Jesus alone is able to address the hungers we're dealing with. And some of us this morning are trying to find our hunger or our satisfaction for our hunger through our possessions. Maybe you're trying to do it through pleasure. Maybe you're trying to do it with relationships. Maybe you're trying to do it with promotions at work. Maybe you're trying to do it with all manner of things and you find yourself only hungry for more. Jesus says, come to me and I will address whatever concerns you and I will satisfy whatever need comes your way. But sadly, even those who are followers of Christ, we are tempted to fill ourselves with the wrong things. And that's why this ongoing relationship of abiding and eating, here's the amazing thing. You want to be satisfied in your relationship with Christ? It is not a one-time alone thing that then just takes care of itself. Jesus is saying, like eating... You and I have to engage and experience Jesus on a daily basis. Sadly, many of us are so tempted and have fallen to the things of this world to fill our hunger. And the reason why is we are famished when it comes to the things of God. And so we'll eat whatever is set before us instead of being satisfied in what God has done. Finally, one other truth with regards to food and and eating and salvation is it can't be handed off to another. You and I will never get full watching others eat. I've tried. It doesn't work. You can't get the nutrition you need by watching others eat. Likewise, you cannot watch other people walk in their salvation and get saved yourself. It has to be personally taken in by the individual for it to have an effect. And so what Jesus is trying to say is, just as you eat, so you should make your relationship with me a daily priority, 
that you yourself take in so that you might experience the nutrients that come with a relationship with me. So Jesus then, at the end of the passage, says, what are you going to do? What's the response going to be? Starting in verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they said, hey, wait a minute. Verse 42, this Jesus, don't we know him? He's from Nazareth. He's the son of uh, Joseph and Mary. This one, he says, that came from Nazareth. He says he came down from heaven. That doesn't work. And others say they don't like what Jesus said because they dispute that he's the manna from heaven and that they're to eat him. And they take it literally and say, listen, we're not supposed to eat. That's cannibalism. We're not supposed to be eat another human being. And so they find excuses. Instead of asking questions as to why they can't follow. Isn't that true of our world today? They come up with excuses on why Jesus can't be the answer, but they never ask the follow-up questions. And so the first response that people have when it comes to Jesus' claims is they balk at his words. They're like, no, I don't want it. And they make up excuses as to why they can't. Listen to me. Maybe today you're here and you're listening to this message about Jesus and you're like, you know what, I don't buy it. Well, what Jesus says is then go on and continue to experience the dissatisfaction in trying to find things in this world that will satisfy your hunger. Keep looking. And you, like the British theologian Mick Jagger will say, I get no satisfaction. I try, I try, I try, but I can't get it. And maybe today you are like Mick Jagger, trying to find that satisfaction. And as another author of a song says, you never find what you're looking for. And Jesus says, the world's going to offer you a lot of things and keep trying, but in the end... Not only will you not find what you're looking for, but in the end it will lead to a sad, everlasting life. Now Jesus has just preached an Operation Crowd Reduction message. He's gone from 5,000 who love him and want to make him king one day. The next day, he's down to 11. Even one of his own disciples, Judas, has decided he's going to betray him. The 5,000 have left, and he now turns to the disciples and says, are you two going to leave? And Simon Peter, what a wonderful confession he says. He says that your words are life. Where else are we going to go? You are the Holy One of Israel. Can you say that this morning? Can you say this morning as Peter did, I believe. I believe and I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that no matter what this world offers, I am going to choose Jesus I am going to make Jesus my number one priority. I have come to Jesus and I have been drawn by the Father in heaven and I have experienced what it means to live in an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. It is there, my friends, it is only there that you and I will find what we're looking for. It is only there that we will find the bread that will sustain us not only in this life, 
but in the life to come. It is there that we find the abundant life that Jesus talks about in John chapter 10. And if you've not experienced that, today is the day that you can believe in Jesus Christ as the bread of life that feeds and fulfills our every need. Amen? And so have you made that decision to believe? Jesus says, come to me. And if you come to me, I will not cast you out. You say, wait a minute, Tim, I've got this issue. I've I've done this. I've done that. Jesus says the only condition that you need to have to come to me for salvation is that you are hungry. And so I speak to every person out there who is hungry, yearning for something to satisfy, to come to Jesus, and he will take you in. So let us feast this week on Jesus. Let us turn to him and and take him in on a daily basis and see not only the nutritional value that a life with Christ offers, but the abundance that it brings. Brothers and sisters, a personal testimony is I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. And that's why I stand before you because Jesus has become my bread of life. And I will tell you, there's no better place to be than seated at the table of God where he feeds us the things we need so that we may never be in need, but always filled to the brim. Amen.